10-5, he's into the end zone, touchdown Arkansas State. Deflected into the hands of Feltz, Avery for three, hits! Culver is safe, the Red Wolves have walked it off. Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else. Matt Stoltz and Brad Boba. Coming up, a big road victory for A-State football over the weekend. We'll recap the 14th straight victory over the Warhawks and talk about everything else that's happening in the world of A-State athletics. But first, there was a Sunbelt Conference championship that was won for the Red Wolves over the weekend. The A-State women's cross-country team taking the team title at the Sunbelt Championships in Foley, Alabama. It was the fourth title in the last five years for the women. The men also had a good showing after winning the last two years. They finished second this time around. And here to talk about the weekend, the Sunbelt champion head coach of the cross-country teams, it's Jesse Duvall. How you doing, Coach? Doing well. Appreciate you guys having me in. Now, look, there was a point in time where uh, this wasn't Coach Duvall's favorite part of the gig right here. <laughs> I'd still say this isn't my favorite part of the gig, <laughs> but uh, but you like, broke him in though, right? Yes, we we did, and then you know, hey, you know, Coach Patchell said, "Look, if you're gonna come in here and win these conference championships, it's part of it. You got to sit in the hot seat." Yeah, these are the things he didn't tell me before I took the job. <laughs> but no, I really do. I enjoy it, and I do appreciate you guys paying attention to uh, cross country track and field. Well, it's worth paying attention to when you win conference championships you need to be recognized now i do want to know how do you celebrate after winning a conference championship (laughs) well they got their first off day of the uh, cross-country season so that was nice but yeah no it's a little bit of a break they took uh yesterday off and then we had long run this morning we're right back to work with regional championships in two weeks so that celebration is very short-lived you guys aren't in this position very often because we've gotten spoiled to the fact that when you guys show up at a cross-country meet or the indoor meet or the outdoor meet, everybody's winning. Mm-hmm. How's that different in the rare occasion where it doesn't go that way? Like, how's it temper the women's celebration at all with the men finish second? No, we got a, such a great family atmosphere right now. So, obviously not the, the situation that we wanted on the men's side, but everybody is still celebrating the women. I mean, they ran out of their minds and kind of made a statement this weekend. So, we had a separate conversation with the men's program. Like, we want to be the best in this conference, and second place is obviously not the best. And so, we, we had that discussion kind of behind closed doors, and then we go and celebrate the women's side. Now, hang on. I, I want to see how do I approach this because I want to make sure I don't. I always do some checking around mm-hmm. going into championships, regardless of the sport. I want to kind of know, hey, what should I be looking for? And so what the information I've come from today didn't come from anybody, Coach Patchell, Coach Duvall, anybody that handles our runners, anybody like that. I've got people all over the place. And the information <laughs> I got a couple of weeks out of the conference meet is that, you know, it's going to be considered the favorite in both, especially the women. But on the men's side, they said, watch out for App State, because App State spent sort of an inordinate amount of its scholarship money on its cross-country team. It kind of like they went all in trying to win cross-country. Yeah, you're not wrong about that on the men's side. Yeah. Okay. They did a great job. Um, they brought in a new men's distance coach. Uh, he did a phenomenal job. The hardest thing, and I dealt with this when I took over the distance program at A-State, the hardest thing is getting your student-athletes to buy in. And once that happens, I mean, the sky's the limit with the distance program. Well, it's got to help app, too, just you know, living in the mountains. I mean, I'm sure they're sprinting up 
the mountain on campus <laughs> every yep, day, yep, right? Not training in 90 <laughs> degrees and 90% humidity. <laughs> 3,333 feet. Oh, yeah. In mm-hmm. Boone. Market employee. You go back to this weekend, though, and on the women's side, again, you win the conference championship, but you had five of the top 16 runners in that race. So what is it that makes this particular team so special? I think we just had a chip on our shoulder, to be honest. On the, on the women's side, we had a conversation at the beginning of this year, and everybody remembered how they felt leaving second place last year is the first time that we'd lost the women's side since I'd taken over the distance program. And so going into it with a chip on our shoulder, we we understood it was going to be fast from go and we wanted to put our noses in it and see what happened. And I was impressed. Uh, we had some girls shuffle around. I had a couple of girls that had been outside of my score in five all year, all of a sudden stepped up to the plate when it mattered. And it was kind of nice because we, we had some girls that maybe didn't have the perfect day, but we had other ones that stepped up and took their place. And I would imagine the competition that you face leading up to the conference championship, that really prepares you as well because you're going up against some of the best teams in the country week after week leading up to this. Absolutely. Two weeks before conference, we flew down to Texas A&M and met up some with some very good regionally ranked teams, some nationally ranked teams. And when you face that kind of competition consistently throughout the year, it definitely relieves some of the pressure at the conference level. Because at the end of the day, we want to be, again, very successful in the Sun Belt. But that's not our end-all, be-all goal. We want to make to the next level the regional, national meet. And it's really where our eyes are set now. Coach Patch on that crew, they had things kind of rolling on the track and field side. And sort of the last piece of the puzzle was the distance and cross-country stuff. And all of a sudden, when you start heading that up, that fell into place. Now it's just a machine kind of in all the disciplines. Mm -hmm. Why is that kind of what, what did you bring to the table that, that caught the distance side up with everything else? I think I just fit in really well with what Coach Patchell kind of wanted from the distance side of things. Now, I'm very, very blessed. I, I ran for Arkansas State. I got to see this program from all different aspects. I was an athlete here, volunteer coach, graduate assistant before I was ever the head distance coach here. And I, I really bought into what he wanted to do. And he had done that consistently in all event groups and obviously with Coach Kraft and Coach Vining being phenomenal at their jobs. Adding in a, a distance coach that really bought into what the family wanted to do was kind of the big thing. And then, like I said before, from there, it's just getting your student athletes to buy into what you want to do. I mean, we're doing some crazy things in training that I never would have done when I was in college. But when you, you start to have that trust, you have that communication, you have that open door policy, it, everything kind of just starts to roll. When Coach Patchell was in here, we talk about just the research that you guys put into the latest methods of training, any kind. And I know that goes across the board in the world of athletics, but you guys are always evolving aren't you? Yes, absolutely. And I'm always kind of fascinated. You're trying to train for a particular race, but the way these athletes train, it's not, hey, go out and run 10 miles today. What are you working on? How do you coach it and prepare these athletes for different races every week? I wish it was that easy. If I could yeah. just say go run, my job would be a piece of yeah. cake. <laughs> no, it's it's a lot of paying attention to the different types of athletes that you're working with. Because I've got some student athletes that are doing 100, 110 mile weeks because they respond really, really well to volume. Even on the women's side, uh, JB Schuffelberger got up to 85 miles a week this year, which is mileage she's never touched before. Uh, frankly, my car doesn't hit that. So 
<laughs> so it's it's little things like that. It's the volume. It's it's the uh, specific intensity at certain times of the year. I mean, I've got 10K runners that are doing 30, 40 meter flies, which is something you'd see sprinters doing. And so it's kind of, it's the fun part of what I do. I call it a puzzle. I mean, all the pieces are there. It's just trying to figure out where to put them. The other thing that's interesting is that not just the different ways you train, but training toward what's the end goal. Like you guys build their training to peak at a certain time and i know you've got kids that that time hasn't mm-hmm. arrived yet correct yep looking beyond the conference talk about that so that's the other fun part too is you got different student athletes that you kind of know where their topping is that year and for some of them that that conference trip is really what they're they're really looking at um, and so trying to time that along with taking three or four student athletes that you know we're peaking two weeks later for the regional event to try and make nationals because to get out of the regional meet for us you're either one of the top two teams that auto qualify to nationals or you're one of the top four individuals not on a qualifying team and so athletes like that you try and hold volume a little bit longer kind of delay some of those harder workouts actually this past week the week of conference jb and rahel had some of the hardest training weeks that they've had to this point even though we knew we had the conference championships if they go into to conference at 75 80 percent they're going to perform well and then we're going to be able to peak them in two weeks at the uh, the regional level now they're not exactly pumped going into conference but it works so it's crazy what about diet? If you're running 85, 100, 110 miles in a week, mm-hmm. you're going to have zero problem burning calories. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but how do you fuel these athletes? Consistent nutrition. That's the biggest thing. With distance running, there's that negative caveat. You kind of think you like, eat a little bit less, you weigh less, you run faster. And I don't buy into that at all. The biggest thing for me is distance runners continuing to fuel their bodies. I mean, they're taking in protein all day long, um, carbohydrates consistently, obviously doing that kind of volume as well. I'm less concerned with what they're eating and more concerned with how many times a day they're eating. I need them eating every couple of hours just to make yeah. sure they continue to fuel. That's the biggest thing. Well, they're lucky. Well, I I remember when Paulina Meyer was in here, and she was delightful in our our visit with her, but she talked about just how much she enjoyed bread. I I remember that, and you know, you look at her, and she's running all the time. Mm -hmm. She's got no problem burning all that off, but I guess that's part of it. You've got to be disciplined to run, but you've got to be disciplined to eat the right way as well. Absolutely. It's neat to work with very high-level student-athletes because, again, their their sights are set a lot further than just the traditional go out and jog a couple miles a week. It's, It's a very different mind mindset. And I'm lucky to work with distance runners because they are so very disciplined in all aspects. I mean, in the classroom, on the track, in their nutrition, it kind of just all falls together. And when you have that kind of discipline, it's a lot easier to, to take care of business. So you mentioned, I mean, you've been through this program in all phases from a student athlete yourself, volunteer assistant, assistant, but now to work as close as you do with Coach Patchell, who's actually Dr. Coach Patchell. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's it like to have a, a sports psychology guy <laughs> at the top of the organization. That's incredible. I work for the best boss in the country, hands down. Um, when I took over this program, I'll be honest, he still intimidates me. Just don't tell him that. <laughs> I've, I mean, I've been in his office for 10, 11 years now, again, in all different phases. But to have somebody like him heading up a program like this with the expectation of excellence, you want to be successful in all things that we do. 
but I can go to him with little questions here about fitness, like injury issues, things like that as well. But I, I was lucky in the sense that when I took over this distance program, he let me make mistakes. And I think that's kind of the sign of an incredible boss is he let me do what I wanted to do. And if I screwed up, he would sit me down and, and we'd try and figure out why together. That was a big thing. I actually, <laughs> for my first year here, I had to send him my training plans before I sent them to my athletes because he wanted to argue with me. He wanted to, to ask why I wanted to do certain things. And I'm very happy to say that in, in that year, there were four things that he argued with me about. All four things I got my way. I just needed to explain why. Well, that's a good sign that you got off to that good of a start. How cool is it to do what you're doing at your alma mater? What's it mean to do all of this here? I never would have expected it, to be honest. I didn't have the greatest career as an athlete. I spent a lot of times injured. I've actually had five stress fractures. I've had Achilles surgery. I've had a lot of problems on the, the athletic side of things. And so when I had graduated from Arkansas State, my intention was never to come back. I, I wanted to move on. I wanted to work in a gym. I expected to be a personal trainer and go that route. And then I kind of just fell into college coaching. And so when Coach Patchell gave me the opportunity to come back to Arkansas State, I, I don't know what I was expecting. <laughs> I, I don't. I never never had the intention to be the head distance coach here, but when I saw the potential in the cross-country program and having those conversations with Coach Patchell of what I thought we could do in Jonesboro, Arkansas, it's everything that I could ask for and more at this point. How do you guys keep it? This is across the board. You're a bunch, track and field athletes. What's the line between sort of confident and cocky? Because when the Sun Belt convenes in any of these things, the expectations that Arkansas State's probably going to win. It's, it's definitely a very fine line. To be successful in an Olympic sport, you have to have a little bit of that cockiness. If, if you lack that, then you're probably not going to spend very long on top. The hardest thing in our sport is to stay on top. And so, that again, having the director and, and the coaching staff and the support in place with the understanding of we know where that line is. And if you lax in that in even a second, I mean, somebody's going to surprise us. And when you have a boss like Dr. Jim Patchell in, in place, you don't really lose sight of where that line is. You kind of make that understanding clear to everybody and follow along. You're from Russellville. Did you come from a athletic family? Not so much. <laughs> my dad was a mechanic. Uh, my mom worked in like the nursery setting for a long time uh, with young children, and neither one of them really did a whole lot of athletics. And so I kind of fell into distance running by accident. I thought I was going to college to play baseball. Then I stopped growing at 5'10 and realized that was a joke. So <laughs> <laughs> You could have got somewhere and played baseball. Uh, I sure. would have been somewhere small, and I wouldn't have been coaching, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Yeah, obviously this is a big stretch coming up because you're getting ready for regionals and then hopefully you've got some athletes going to nationals after that and then you've got to start to make that transition to indoor season. So talk about just the, the weeks and a couple of months ahead for you. How do you handle this? This is probably the toughest time as far as training is concerned because I do have student athletes that didn't make the travel bus to a conference. I got other ones, like you said, trying to make nationals. And so that separation in training turns out to be five or six weeks different. And so a lot of my time over the next couple of weeks is going to be spent drawing up training plans, getting certain athletes prepped for indoor season, which we're going to start racing first, second weekend of December. And at that point, I've got my regional national squad that's going to be going through their break process. For us, it's traditionally a 10 to 14 day break. Um, we'll spend a little bit of time away from running and then they'll start running very light mileage before we start really going to a massive mileage build, which is great in the South. I mean, it doesn't get super cold down here, so mileage is not a problem. But then I send some athletes back home to Illinois and they're running in two feet of snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, we brought up Paulina Meyer 
earlier, and she's had great success in the steeplechase the yeah. last year or so. And before that, we've had Bennett Pasco in here, and he was fantastic in that event, too. Is that something that you kind of had to learn as well? Yeah, so uh, that's what I wanted to do in college. I was a steeplechaser my, my freshman year and had a little bit of success with it. I didn't expect it to be where I found the most success in coaching, to be honest. But no, it's it, working with some athletes that have very athletic backgrounds. I mean, Paulina Meyer played other sports growing up. Bennett Pasco went to Conway Christian, so he played football, basketball, I mean, you yeah. name it. And so the steeplechase kind of just fell into their laps. It's an interesting event to coach because I have to work with Coach Patchell and Coach Vining as far as hurdle technique. I, I'm not the best as far as that's concerned. So it's a team effort with that. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, I take care of the volume. They do the hurdle stuff. <laughs> that's the one that just always, I've asked every one of these athletes that's sat in that chair and competed in that, just like, the thing that just baffles me is it, it seems so counterintuitive because like, you got to take care of your feet, yet you go do this event where you're running through water and you keep running it just it just sounds like a blister waiting to happen <laughs> yeah that's why they make all those special shoes now <laughs> now you have to be a little bit of crazy to uh, to enjoy the steeplechase is there something you're most proud of during your time here that's a great question. I honestly could say I'm most proud of the atmosphere that we've created across the distance program. I mean, we, we took a distance squad that hadn't been ranked in the region. Uh, I think they had won one women's conference title before I'd taken over the program. And we're in a situation now on the distance side where the communication is, is wide open. My student athletes can come and talk to me about anything and everything under the sun. And I, I think that is the best part of my job is that open communication, that trust that we have across the board because it's something that as a student athlete I didn't really realize was so important and now to be on this side of things it's why we've seen the most success in, in the distance side of things is because of that trust and that communication so I would definitely say that's what I'm most proud of well we've got a lot to be proud of mm -hmm. with everything you guys have done <laughs> as a program and hey congratulations on the women's championship over the weekend and good luck to both teams as you get ready for regionals i do appreciate it thank you very much that's jesse duvall joining us here on the second to none podcast presented by simmons bank more to come right after this when we play today we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies we win our tomorrows wherever we play wherever we fight wherever we overcome odds we're winning our way Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. This is Coach Butch Jones, and we need you to help our A-State athletic programs by donating to the Impact Club. This is an organization that is making a real difference in the lives of our student-athletes. Make a monthly commitment and get access to team newsletters, special gear, and exclusive access that you will not find anywhere else. Find out more and give today at impactclub.com. That's impact spelled I-M-P-A-C-K-T club.com. Your support is greatly appreciated and is helping our program right now wolves up big weekend for the football team they traveled to monroe took on ulm and came out on top 34 24 this streak is now at 14 in a row over mm. ulm and we've had some close games in there but somehow we just keep winning against those guys and this was a solid win on the road and i thought really the defense set the tone in the first half ulm was able to drive deep in our territory on several occasions in the first half, but we held them to just the three field goals. And 
We're up 10-9 to at the intermission. And I thought one of the key parts of the ball game, ULM gets the ball first to begin the second half. They go on a 13-play, 75-yard drive. And the way we answered with a 13-play, 75-yard drive of our own was huge. And Coach and I talked about that during the TV show on Sunday, just how important it was after it it seemed like ULM had taken a little momentum for themselves to come right back and take that momentum right back away. Well, their touchdown drive was also around the heels of getting the pick at the end of the half when you kind of had points. In all likelihood, you had points. At least a field goal, yeah. And uh, so you missed out there, and so – you're right that's a big answer and then and i understand like people get frustrated when you can't run the ball early but look i don't know much about calling a football game but i would think you're it, talking it, about as a coach a yes, coordinator yeah yes, as a, as a, but i think you can't not try to run the ball oh gosh you have to <laughs> and then what happens so it's almost like you're just you're chipping away early on yeah so that you kind of get the dam to spring a leak and then when it came time to put that game away guess what you did you won it running the football yeah, the, the Red Wolves led 17-16 after three. So it was a one-point lead at the half, one-point lead after three, and just love the way we dominated that fourth quarter. And really, it was the offensive line that started to wear down that ULM front, and it opened up some holes for Zach Wallace, and he was hitting the holes, and then he was running over people at the same time. What a day for Zach. A season-high 118 yards on 18 carries. Had a couple of touchdowns in that fourth quarter, including a 34-yard score early in the fourth. Later added a one-yard touchdown that immediately followed an amazing catch by Jeff Foreman. Yeah, that at live speed, there was zero chance he made that catch inbounds at live speed. Well, I called it incomplete on the air. (laughs) And you know how much pride I take in in that stuff, trying to get that right. But me, Jerry Scott was spotting for me. Him and Darian Griswold, none of us thought he caught that ball. No. They didn't even review it. Nope. Which kind of shocked me that they didn't try to challenge it. But but then you credit see, credit to our guys for You get, go and run a play. Yeah, you run a play and get in the end zone on the very next but, play. But you know they had the you know they had another look or two at it on TV. He made the catch. Unreal. What a grab by Jeff Foreman. And he's that guy that every single week makes a catch like that it really helped put the ball game away and eventually led by as many as three scores in that fourth quarter but the catch by Jeff was big but it was great to see in that receiving core Corey Rucker have the game that he did six catches for 160 yards we've been waiting for him to have a game like that and I guess we should have expected it to be the ULM game because it seems like the biggest (laughs) games in his career have come against the Warhawks. We know the biggest game of his career came against the Warhawks back in that 2020 season. Yeah, what's he got now? 14 catches for 470 yards against him or something? Well, he also had a good game in 2021. You're you're thinking about 2020 and 2023. But 21, he had a good game too. So, yeah, well over 500 yards receiving in three games against the Warhawks. Well, I've been watching football games you know, a long time in this role and just watch them. I'd say never have I ever watched a two-game stretch of football where I saw five touchdowns taken off the board 
in two games <laughs> due to penalties. Well, I'm glad it worked the other way around yeah, we, for us yeah, this time. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, after we had two called back against Coastal the week before, ULM had three called back in this game. thought Jalen Rayner did some really good things again, 15 of 30, 298, a touchdown and a pick. Again, that pick came late in the first half. He did have a rushing score as well. Dominic Zavato with a good day. He had a 49-yarder that would have been good from a lot further than that in the first half. And then he hit a 42-yarder to put us up three scores in the fourth quarter. How about our man Charwillicus? He's out there playing with a club on his arm. (laughs) Had surgery here in the last couple of weeks, and he had... A team-high 12 tackles, a sack, broke up a pass. And one thing, there's a stat that really doesn't get mentioned as much, but this number kind of jumped off the page the other day. And it makes sense because our defensive front, even though we only had the one sack on the day from Willikas, they were in the face of ULM's true freshman quarterback, Blake Murphy, all day long. And, you know, he was having to get rid of it in a hurry. And the reason why was we had 14 quarterback hurries in that game, six of them coming from Thurman Gathers. Yeah, that's a lot. I went back and looked at how many we have on the season. 14 of our 34 came on Saturday. (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, they were back there a lot, wreaking some havoc. You know, I think there's a time or two, probably not even on here, that we're, you know, we kind of hit the kid's arm as he threw and yep. you know, altered passes a lot of ways without getting sacks. A-State now 4-4 four and four overall, 2-2 two and two in Sunbelt Conference play. And we've got meaningful football in November, which is something that's, I mean, that's the goal. We're, we're yeah. trying to get to November and have some meaningful games. And you win two of these final four down the stretch and... You're bowl eligible. And lo and behold, you got two of them at home. Hopefully they can take care of business this week against the Cajuns. We'll talk about that matchup and tell you what else is happening in the world of A-State athletics when we come back to wrap things up right after this. You raised your family here. Did every July 4th here refinish the floors here twice? Sized up your daughter's boyfriends here? Waited in the doorway all day when your son was coming home on leave? This place has given you all you've dreamed of, and now it's giving again in the form of a gourmet kitchen and the quietest dishwasher known to man. Realize your dream with a home equity line of credit from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, subject to credit approval. Red Wolf fans, this is Demario Davis, proud Red Wolf and linebacker for the New Orleans Saints. And I'm asking you to help out our current A-State student athletes by donating to the Impact Club. This organization helps our program stay competitive and supports our players by facilitating NIL agreements that allow them to endorse local charities, make a monthly commitment, and get access to team newsletters, special gear, and exclusive access you won't find anywhere else find out more and give today at impactclub.com thank you and wolves up wrapping things up here on the second to none podcast presented by simmons bank men's basketball with a big week ahead they did win their first exhibition game over trevecca nazarene last wednesday 112 to 61 and then had a big night the following night had a great turnout for boots and ballers that was a lot of fun we're recording this on monday so The UCA game, as we record this, is tonight, the final exhibition. The 
big fundraiser for the Wynn Relief and Recovery Center. Mm-hmm. But after that, got the regular season opener coming up on Monday at Wisconsin. Seven o'clock, the tip time for that one. And looking forward to that trip and looking forward to seeing how our guys do in that type setting. And I think everybody has seen enough through the exhibition games to know that this is going to be a really fun team to watch. I'm looking forward to it. Of course, as you said, as we're uh, recording this, we haven't seen the UCA game yet, although it's happened by the time you listen to it. I'm looking forward to that, too. You know, it's quite a big jump from Trevecca Nazarene to another D1 team, and then obviously another jump again to go from uh, that to go on the road and open at Wisconsin. So, uh, look, we've known a long time that partly by choice and partly just sort of circumstances dictating it. He, he threw this team into the deep end from a scheduling standpoint. and look forward to seeing how they handle it. Women's basketball also with their season opener coming up next Monday at South Dakota State. Tip off at 6 o'clock for that one. And as excited as we are about the men's team, I think the women's team deserves just as much excitement. Yeah, ready to see them. I've got a chance to watch them a couple of times in practice, and there's a lot of talk about their returners, right? And they've got a, mm-hmm. a lot of them in that big junior class. A lot of talk about their newcomers via the transfer. They got one freshman. Look out. For the freshman. For the freshman. Volleyball, losing both of their matches to Texas State over the weekend. They'll try to get back on track in Monroe, oh and we boy. talk about the football streak. <laughs> the football streak's nothing compared to this volleyball streak against the Warhawks. No, Hawks. they'd have to, uh, football would have to beat ULM the next quarter century to, <laughs> to get up in this neighborhood. So uh, they'll be in Monroe taking on ULM Friday at 6, Saturday at 1. Hopefully they can get a couple of wins and get some momentum. We're getting closer and closer to the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. We know they got hot last year in the conference tournament. Hopefully they can do it again. Soccer saw their season come to an end on Thursday, falling 3-1 at South Alabama. They finished the season 4-8-4 overall, 2-5-3 in league play, and just miss out on the conference tournament. Just, yeah, it's a play here or there. I know our uh, lone goal in that match came on a penalty. Did you notice that uh, the last two times we had penalty kicks? You so took the kick and scored. It was the goalie, the right? The goalkeeper, yeah. Olivia Luther, a couple of goals, taking penalty kicks. You don't see that a lot, do you? I don't, I don't think so. I don't know. You might. <laughs> yeah, I never we saw know? it on Ted Lasso. Well, we don't know any of that. <laughs> Women's golf, finishing the fall portion of the schedule at the Diamante Intercollegiate in Hot Springs last week. They finished fifth out of 17 teams. Senior Elise Schultz shot eight under for the tournament and finished third among the individuals. Yes, she was playing, and she was playing as an individual. So her score didn't count towards the team score. Finished fifth without her score in it. Our buddy MJ Davian Shaw is trying to decide which five. Well, then they have a process for making the lineup like everybody else. You need to qualify for it. I mean, no, it's not just flipping the coin or picking them out of a hat. Yeah. So that's the way it shook out, and then yeah, I mean it's always the risk you take. I guess you got individuals in the fields that one of them's going to go off, and that's what happened here. They had an ace, we had a player with an ace in the tournament at Hot Springs. So a lot of stuff going on. Men's golf is currently competing at their final event of the fall, playing at the Daniel Island 
Intercollegiate that's in Charleston, South Carolina. I want to go back and try to get this uh, called up here. Jack Maxey, during the week of uh, practice, fired a course record at Sage Meadows. That's right. I saw that. He shot a 60. He shot a 6 under 30 on the front, a 6 under 30 on the back. It's a new course record. Now, here's here's what I'd like to... Because, you know, it not, that's unbelievable, right? I'm never going to do anything like that. Oh, gosh. But I get, do got to wonder, like, for as fired up as you got to be to shoot a 60. It was bogey-free, but he did par a par five. And I got to wonder if you're thinking, oh, man, I'd like to go back and play number 15 again. Maybe even go back and play number 10 again, because I know that's a hole that a lot of times those guys can chew up number 10 at Sage, if and he's hard that. If you set a course record, I bet you're not dwelling too much on I that. don't know because these guys like right they're elite. I mean they're they're another level. So I mean I'm thinking like I mean sixty's unbelievable. But you've got sixty chances to find one stroke that could have turned that thing into a fifty nine. <laughs> I just think it would just it would drive you crazy. Bowling team finishing fifth out of eighteen teams at the destination Orlando event over the weekend. I still shake my head at some of the placing in these <laughs> bowling tournaments because it seems like they win pretty much every match they play. Sort of like they, they score the early days of these tournaments using whose line is it anyway rules where the points don't matter. <laughs> where the wins don't matter. A lot of these, it's the total yeah. pinfall. So, yeah, it's a little different. And uh, tennis, uh, winning three matches at the rain-shortened UCA third fall invitational this past weekend. I guess that's their third event of the fall. <laughs> I guess. They'll close out the uh, fall at the Raging Cajun Invite this weekend. Yeah. I mean, Coach, again, you know, we're going to get Sujay Lama in here. And yeah. He, he's got a fascinating tale to tell. But he's done a nice job here with the team. Largely, he inherited. He's come in and he's taking those kids and he's already won quite a few matches with them. Pretty, pretty cool to see. Well, it's going to be cool to see the Red Wolves football team back at home on Saturday. We're down to two home games left, four games remaining in the regular season, two of them at Centennial Bank Stadium. And this is our first afternoon home game of the year when the Cajuns come to town, kick off at two on Saturday. Cajun team that's got to be feeling pretty good. They're coming off their most impressive win of the season. They went into Mobile last week and beat South Alabama. Boy, had Texas stayed, and they really gave Troy Fitz for a big chunk of that game Saturday, and I watched parts of it when our game finished. But if Texas State would have won that football game, how big a mess would the West be right now? It'd be crazy. Everybody in the, everybody yeah. in the division with two losses. It's, like it's still, still pretty open. It is. But, now, but, like, but that was a huge win but, for yeah, Troy. Yeah, but Troy dodged a big bullet there. And then Troy has South Alabama this week in Troy, and – if they beat South Al, then they're fully in the driver's seat at that point. Yeah. You said it earlier, and I hope it's not lost on people, that November matters here. I'm not saying you can't go to South Alabama and you can't go to Marshall and win, because you can't. But the path to bowl eligibility can run right through the vault, and I hope our fans understand that. And by end of that, and let's show up and make a little noise starting Saturday. And Jerry Scott had mentioned this to me and to Coach Jones yesterday before we sat down to do the TV show. He said 11 of the teams in the Sun Belt are either at six wins or already or within two games of bowl eligibility. 
going into the last month of the season. Mm. So we could see up to 11 teams in the league bowl eligible. And then you got James Madison, who you yeah, know, they're, is... Yeah, they're going to be ticked off if, if is, 10 teams and somebody has six wins. They're well, not going to be very happy. Yeah, and they've been the best team in the league. But <laughs> unless uh, there's a bowl spot open at the end of this stuff, they're not going bowl. Well, we're scarf. It'd be hard to imagine a world where somebody had eight, nine bowl eligible teams. I don't know if that can happen with the numbers, but if it did, that there would be spots left over, but we'll see. No. Anything else we need to... I just to hope we got one of them spots. Discuss here. Hey, just don't forget, Saturday is the redemption of you purchased the stadium replica. That's right. They're here. They're cool. Find us on social media. We've tweeted out a link. So if you don't have a ticket to the game, you can buy a ticket to the game that's got the stadium replica with it. And you can come pick it up Saturday when the gates open at noon. We'll be there noon to one thirty, and again, some point later in the game. But if you already have a ticket to the game, you've already bought tickets, you already got tickets, or you're a season ticket holder, there is a link out there as well where you can just go buy the replica itself. But just to remind you that it's got to be picked up Saturday. We're not shipping those things out. They've, they're bought with the intention you got to come get them Saturday. That's what a theme ticket is. And so uh, find us on social media, A-State Red Wolves, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We've put that stuff out everywhere. So find those links and... Buy those replicas. Pick them up Saturday. Thanks again to Jesse Duvall coming in and joining us in studio today. Congratulations again to that A-State women's cross-country team for winning the Sunbelt Championship for the fourth time in five years. Appreciate Caleb Garner for setting up that interview. For Brad, I'm Matt. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you Saturday.